Hello and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Hope everybody out there is doing well. My name is Mitch Michaels and I'm the host of this sports podcast. And we have a lot to talk about on today's show. A couple big guests breaking down a variety of sports. First up, it's Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting. Jose has a lot to say about the state of a couple different divisions. We break down Kamara Usman's reign at welterweight. What's next for the lightweight division? The heavyweight division is looking prime as well. And we gear up for that March 6 showdown UFC 259 with Israel Adesanya taking on Jan Blajowicz for the light heavyweight title. We also break down some boxing and some NBA All-Star as well, as well as the road to WrestleMania. Always got to talk wrestling with Jose. And then Ian Dunn joins the show. Had to talk to my boy, the Panda, about his Bucks winning the Super Bowl. We break down tennis as well with Novak Djokovic winning his record-setting ninth Australian Open gearing closer toward the all-time Grand Slam mark with 18, and Naomi Osaka winning her fourth Grand Slam as she sets herself up as the one to beat in women's tennis. It's Jose Youngs and Ian Dunn on today's Money Mitch Effect episode. Let's start the show. All right, back on the Money Mitch Effect to talk, of all else, combat sports and a few other nuggets and notes from MMA fighting. It's Jose Youngs. Jose, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, It has been a busy time of year, as always, for you. We appreciate you coming on the show. What's up, man? I was trying to remember the last time I was on, but so this is probably the first time in 2021, right? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think the timing, I mean, it's going to work pretty good because rather than just recap or talk about one fight, we can kind of talk about the general landscape of, of the fight game and, and really foreshadow and forecast into the future. But Jose, first things first, I know you're a fan of a lot of different sports. I guess I didn't realize until I was on Twitter today that you're uh, quite a big Suns fan and you're not going to put up with any yeah. of this Devin Booker under appreciation. Yeah, obviously I'm a, a diehard Celtics fan. I like they're They're always going to be where my heart is, but I live about a five-minute walk from the Suns Arena, so I always support, and I've lived here for all the better part of 10 years, so I always support the Suns, and I used to go to games when I was able to because they were so cheap. You get tickets for like five bu- five bucks a seat the day mm-hmm. of the game. So uh, Devin Booker's obviously been a hero to a lot of people in Phoenix, and it's just an absolute travesty that he plays in the West because it's just so guard-heavy that it's nearly – though it's it's – it's nonsense that like I'm not upset that he didn't like I kind of assumed he wouldn't he wouldn't make it just because mm-hmm. like you know Curry and well like like the Currys and the Westbrooks and the Hardens and everyone Damn, they were yeah. always in the West and so he couldn't make it and now that he's out there all those guys are like well like Westbrook and <laughs> yeah. Harden are out you got the Lillards and the mm-hmm. Donchicks and uh, Westbrook's like Westbrook's gone but then like Zion Williamson makes the the well, all-star team like his second year it's, and yeah. his numbers are almost identical mm-hmm. Devin Booker's his first two years the only difference is he plays a forward that's position. you know that's the thing and, and I looked at Booker's number I'm not as in tune with the day-to-day of the regular season uh 24 points a game over that and 38 percent from three is pretty good yeah. the team actually being good too I think is part yeah. of what should count well um, that's yeah. the problem because the only like everyone said oh he has good numbers on a bad team and now that he has good numbers on a good team they're still not rewarding him which is why it sucks but the to to be fair he wasn't at his numbers d- had have dipped from the last pre the previous years obviously because cp3 is there so he, he doesn't have to you know carry the team the whole time and it took him a minute to get kind of adjusted yeah. to cp3 but now that they're clicking he just dropped like 30 points <laughs> in like 20 minutes the other day but the 
but it happened to be the day after they closed the all-star voting. So he, he just can't catch a break. But he made it last year, I think. He was like a replacement or coaches yeah. voting. And he's won the three-point competition. So, And he has LeBron James tweeting about him, which can't hurt his chances in the future. Yeah, I, I looked at some of the, the notable snubs, and, and he was up there along with Bam Adebayo and uh, yeah. Sabonis on the Pacers. And, and we can get into, you know, we don't have to get into who should make it over those guys. But one thing that I think, I'm all for Jose, and I'm interested to hear your take on this. Is forget about the conferences. I would just take the top 24. You could do a player draft. You could figure, you know, like they still do. I just don't think you need 12 and 12 by position because that's where you say guards in the West get kind of screwed because it's just so deep by what conference they play in. Well, it's like in the I agree, and I do understand why it's just kind of fans like to pick and choose. But like the NBA is like. Like, if you want to tell me LeBron James is anywhere between one through five, I would probably be like, yeah, I'd vote for him starting center as much as I'd vote for him in the starting point guard. Uh, same as, like, Durant or, like, Don, or like Marcus Smart could play one through four yeah. if he makes the all-team. But, like, if you look, like, Joe Johnson is, like, a nine-time all-star, something like that. <laughs> and then Chris Webber is, like, a three-time all-star yeah. because he played in the West for most of his careers back when all when it was, like, so forward dominant in the, in the 80s and 90s. So... It's like how, like what is is three Eastern Conference All Stars equivalent to one Western Conference All Stars? It's it's all but that's it's the tale as old as time. Yeah, that's the way to the East versus West. That's the way basketball's going. It's funny to yeah. look back at the All Star games in the '90s and based on fan voting, you'd have Shaq, Duncan, and Garnett all starting. So you'd have a big at the three, and now you basically don't have enough bigs to start for certain games because it's right, all right. you know guards and forwards. Well, I just want to get your thoughts on that. I know you've adopted the Suns. Uh, getting, the, <laughs> getting the combat sports, I want to talk about the UFC in just a second, but Saturday was one of the best days for knockouts. You can imagine yeah. if you just like boxing and, and mixed martial arts. The boxing thing I want to touch on was... Um, Incredible, the featherweight bout that was hyped up by ESPN and, and actually exceeded the hype. It was uh, Miguel Burchelt taking on Oscar Valdez, and Valdez put on a clinic that culminated in one of the best knockouts I've ever seen. And and they hyped this up, Jose, as two Mexican warriors getting in the yeah. ring and leaving it all on the line. And, and that's exactly what this was. There was no hyperbole. Uh, Valdez landing over 100 power punches before that final round and, and culminating with Technically speaking, I want to say one of the best knockouts I've seen because he was slipping punches and then landed a brutal left at the buzzer that immediately everyone knew the fight was over. Just a phenomenal display of boxing. Glad to see Burchelt was able to get his senses after a while. But, man, that was a rough one. Yeah, and it's just like it, – it, it just goes to show you. Like I know everyone – it's the phrase fight like a Mexican seems like an insult to a lot of people that don't really follow combat sports, but – when you say that, it's 100% a compliment. Uh, or if you say someone doesn't fight, like like obviously Oscar De La Hoya, which I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> at some point in the near future, because yeah. uh, God knows what that clown is up to. Uh, people would say he didn't fight enough like a Mexican for being a Mexican. Or like, Chavez's just, son is another good example. Yeah, recently. yeah. It's just a style of fighting like you either get killed or you kill the guy, and there's no shame in it as long as you put it all out there. And that's exactly what happened. And like you said, it was an absolute perfect night of knockouts, and I think ESPN. Like I, I knocked a lot of what ESPN does with their boxing coverage and MMA coverage, and some of, some of their guest pundits that aren't really pundits or experts that appear on their broadcasting, but they're doing something right when they put these high level boxing matches right after UFC fights because one ends and it goes right into the other, and it's almost seamless. So 
I don't hate it. I'm glad it was in uh, like the MGM Conference Center. I know it's not the MGM Grand, and I know this two Mexicans, they probably could have fallen like El Paso <laughs> yeah. or Mexico or Hidalgo, but Vegas is obviously the fight capital of the world. So just to say that, for sure, the knockout of the year so far, uh, one of the ugliest knockouts you will ever see happens. Uh, at these two with these two Mexican fighters is absolutely fantastic and hopefully we get a rematch down the line mm-hmm. yeah it, it, I say this for the millionth time another example but man I wish fans were there because you know it would have just been electric when that happened uh, and I also want to say too that it was a little rocky you know between uh, sure. UFC and boxing the relationship but now I think it's yeah, good sure. some of the people in positions of power have kind of you know yielded it a little bit and I think we're in we're in a better place for that uh, now, I, I would like to see a rematch down the road. I also want to see Valdez fight Shakur Stevenson because I think that's the next logical step. And Shakur Stevenson, a great young boxer, was uh, asking for it. There's some big fights to be made in boxing coming up. So I. Yeah, but the problem is. Yeah, here it I'm is. I'm tired <laughs> of all of this. Like, there's so many fighters in the same weight classes that are like, we're going to change the dynamic of boxing. And, like, we're not going to hold off on these super fights. We're all going to fight each other when in our primes and everything and it's not happening so it's great to talk about it but it's another thing to actually get it done it looks like we're finally going to get an actual like title unification bout in the heavyweight division but it's still it's not official it's all it's gonna happen it's gonna happen but nothing's official yet and so as talented as the top of these boxing divisions are they just got to fight each other and if not then it's not worth tuning into so we get the we're gonna get the heavyweight title unification at some point, but if there's one fight outside of that, Jose, that we want, it's got to be Spence Crawford, right? Like if we could, if you could make any fight in boxing, Probably. is that the one? It's either that or Garcia and Tank Davis. I think that would be <laughs> that's another. That's a good really counter. Good one. That's a good. That slipped my mind. That that actually yeah. is more likely of happening. Uh, I think. I think down the road. I don't think it'll happen in 2021. I, just don't, I don't know if Crawford just, and Spence ever. The fight. problem is that fight makes sense, and boxing doesn't make fights that make yeah. sense at the time. They want, which is fine. Like Canelo Triple G made sense for five years, and they held off until they maximized the amount of money mm-hmm. they can make in one. And the hype was real. Like they like, and by all means, like Canelo and Triple G would have fought at any point in that in those five years. But they were they're prize fighters because people want it like let's not forget they want they punch each other in the head for a living they should maximize their earnings yeah uh, they they nailed it like they caught they hit that fight exactly when it should have happened too bad the judges were absolutely wonky in both of those fights and it kind of has a real bad taste in my mouth but they they hit it right on the head I think same when Canelo fought Cotto Cotto was obviously on the downwards. Uh, trajectory of his career but i think he would he'd still had a name and enough in the tank for when he fought canelo it was uh it was a vi- he was a viable contender so but garcia tank right now makes sense it just that's what and that is why it won't happen they're a little younger too maybe that's why i'm more yeah, optimistic yeah, yeah. that it'll eventually happen but they're and both great prize fighters that's the thing like they're gonna sell the fight and people are gonna be really into it it's just probably not gonna happen well to a sport that uh, is making some stuff happen, let's go to the UFC. Jose Young's here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, mentioned Saturday you were covering the fight night that we saw, which saw two of the top five heavyweights do battle, Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis getting another knockout, just, just setting records now in the UFC. This guy is incredible for his finishing power. And the other thing, too, Jose, is a lot of these finishes have happened in fights that he wasn't winning, he certainly wasn't in control in, Another example where he said after the fight that he didn't feel like he had it early, that all it took was one uppercut and Blades was down and out. 
incredible performance. What did you see leading into this fight? And ultimately, how shocked were you that, you know, Lewis got the knockout finish? It's everything about this fight is exactly what Derek Lewis is. Like, if you watch any of his fights, he's losing the entire fight until he just punches you in the jaw. Like, that's that's just the, the – and he's almost even walked like the Junior Dos Santos fight. He almost did the same thing. Like, yeah, he got TKO'd in that fight, but he had an awful back and he injured his knee. So he was, like, less than 50% healthy for that fight. And he really, But he, knew, he wanted the paycheck and he went in there and fought. And he hit so hard that he's a guy that can win with a broken back and an injured knee. And he almost did it. Like, he got, like he got kicked in the stomach and he played possum and bent over. And when Junior rushed in for the finish, he just blasted him in the face and almost knocked him dead. So that's the kind of fighter Derek Lewis is. Curtis Blades won that entire fight until Derek Lewis connected with that uppercut. He was keeping him at distance. He wasn't shooting in for bad takedowns. He was winning every aspect of, of that fight, the striking, the clinching, everything. Yeah, Derek Lewis stopped the takedown in the first round, but Curtis Blades just kept moving forward, and then he just got disconnected from his sentence, but sen- senses. But like, look at Derek Lewis versus Volkov. Uh, where he was, he lost pretty much two and a half rounds, two and a half of three rounds, and then just punched Volkov in the jaw and won. Uh, and I actually thought he lost to Elir Latifi in Houston, or and similar to the Roy Nelson fight. Like the only way you can really stop this man from knocking you out is to hold him on the canvas and control him. The problem is he's so strong and he's so explosive that he can lose. Four and a half rounds, and by uh, four and a half minutes of a round, and by that I mean you're just holding him down, like to keep him from punching you, and he can be held down, and it's such a boring fight, and it's so like I, I'm not saying it's boring because like I understand like it's yeah I don't want like if I'm a fighter I don't want to get punched by Derek Lewis, so I'm just gonna hold this man down regardless right. of what fans will boo or not, and so you hold him down for four and a half like four and a half minutes in in that round. And then he scrambles to his feet with 30 seconds left. And for those 30 seconds, you have just grenades coming at you for for the entire 30 seconds. And to the judges, that's all it takes for Derek Lewis to win a yeah. round. Like, gets held down, jumps up, and just connects with bombs. Mm-hmm. Like, he did that with against Latifi. He did that against, uh, who, who did I, Roy Nelson. And then if, he do, if you survive, you lose the round. And yeah. if you don't survive, like Travis Brown, Shamil Abdurmanov, Tabura, Volkov, like Alexi Olenek completely dominated the first round against him, like got him in these crazy chokeholds. And then Derek Lewis just sprints out of the gate in the second round and knocks him dead in 20 <laughs> seconds. So yeah, if you need to summarize Derek Lewis's entire career, just watch the Curtis Blades fight. I mean, Herb Dean was a, early in that fight saying, come on, guys, like let, let's fight, essentially. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think that there's always that chance that he's going to just find that knockout range and, and end the fight quickly. And it's almost like this being a five-round fight, Jose. It was like, there's more time. I'm less worried than I normally would be because he'll eventually figure it out. I was... I was thoroughly impressed with him and you know Blades it's another tough run for him because now he's lost to Lewis and you know the two losses to Francis he's kind of stuck in neutral in that heavyweight division but yeah. with with the Lewis win I mean we were talking about finally seeing Francis taking on Stipe in a couple months here for that heavyweight title shot I ask you now where does Lewis factor into the heavyweight title plans the fact that John Jones is coming up to this division yeah. what's next and what could be on the horizon for the Black Beast here If I'm trying to book him in a fight that makes sense for his career because right now i think like dana white's already said john jones will probably fight the winner 
of Francis Stipe, which I am absolutely fine with because if I'm so you a think fan, he, uh, you think he should get that get the title fight without another heavyweight fight? Yeah, okay. I do, I do because if I any champion that hasn't lost his belt that changes divisions, I think can skip the queue. Like if if uh, if say Habib when he was champion decided to jump up to welterweight, he can skip the queue. If Demetrius Johnson went up to one thirty five, he can skip the queue. Any reign, any champion who changes divisions without losing their belt right. or vacates yeah. the belt. I don't have a problem skipping the queue, especially if you're John Jones, because right now I think John Jones is the second greatest fighter who ever lived in terms of greatness. Mm-hmm. I think he's the most talented fighter mm-hmm. in the history of mixed martial arts. And if he wins the heavyweight championship of the world, he's the greatest fighter in the history of MMA. I would, uh, I, I would agree with you there. I, I would also just say, you know, I mean, personally it would be nice to see him fight at the heavyweight division before yeah. he gets the title fight. My, my only concern would be, if we have a scenario like the Cormier-Stipe trilogy where we have a couple yeah. drag him out well, fights, maybe I long think, decisions I, I that think if, Especially if, if Francis, the biggest fight they can make right now uh, if would be Francis and John Jones. Mm-hmm. Like that, that sells so many pay-per-views. Like the person with the hardest recorded punch in the, he's in the Guinness record for hardest puncher ever in Francis Ngannou versus the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, Stipe is the greatest heavyweight, so if he wins, that sells itself the greatest light heavyweight versus the greatest heavyweight. John Jones is beating Daniel Cormier twice. Uh, D- John Jones beat Daniel Cormier twice. Stipe has beat Daniel Cormier twice. This is really, I think, that would just be hyper competitive, like the two greatest fighters of their of the upper, of the higher weight classes. And then, but then again, if, Fra- if Francis wins, John Jones uh, isn't quite ready because he's taking his methodical time of bulking up, and they want to do the rubber match. Between Stipe and Francis, I'm fine with that too. Especially if it's a decision. Like if Francis knocks him dead, probably not. Right, that's a good uh, point because he Stipe winning the first fight, the next it wouldn't take two additional fights to get to no, you know the no, climax no, no. of it. Uh, if they want, if they want to do Stipe versus Fr- uh, Derek Lewis for the number one contender for John Jones Francis, that's fine too. But I actually think Stipe. Oh, I don't know, man. I haven't even decided. A lot of options though. And yeah, and then if but if I'm the UFC and I'm trying to book him in a fight that makes sense. Uh, probably the winner of Jairzinho Rosenstrick and Cyril Gaon, which is uh, this weekend. It's their two surging heavyweights, two, two surging knockout artists. Uh, they, they're on awesome win streaks. The only person Jairzinho's lost to is Francis Gano in about 20 seconds, but everyone's not lost to Francis Gano <laughs> in 20 seconds. And then, of course, Cyril Gaon is like the future of the division. And he's he's basic. He used to train with Francis. So I would describe Cyril Gaon as he doesn't hit as hard, but he is so much more technical. But when I say he doesn't hit as hard, he might be the third hardest puncher in, in the heavyweight division. Francis is just on another planet. Yeah. But so imagine Francis with just technical striking, and that's Cyril gone. Like same same body frame. There's no fat on him at all. He's like he looks like a. It's like if Ray Lewis was an MMA fighter. Like <laughs> that's, that's what he looks yeah, that's like. Scary. So he looks good getting off the bus. But then I know Derek Lewis really really wants to fight Alistair Overeem. Like they do not like each other. Alistair Overeem's coming off a loss, uh, so if they don't want to make that fight, I get it. But if Derek Lewis wants to just stay active, because Derek Lewis views this as a job, like he's like, yeah, cool, the title is great, but I get paid to fight, and I want to fight and make as much money as right. possible. So if he wants a quick turnaround, maybe Overeem. But if, if <laughs> I'm his team, I hold him back yeah. and fight the winner, Jairzinho and uh, Cyril Gaon for the because that would just like there's no argument after that. He should he should get a title shot. Well, there's a lot of options. It does seem like, unfortunately, he's going to have to wait a little bit, unfortunately, for yeah. him because he wants to keep fighting. But the heavyweight division, it's it's taken on death now, which is good to see. 
after yeah. uh, a couple of years where uh, that wasn't the case. Jose Young's here from uh, MMA Fighting on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's talk about another division I want your thoughts on, and that's the welterweight division, my favorite to watch. Uh, but I think uh, I think you brought up a good point on Twitter. If you if you appreciated getting value bets on Kamara Usman, those days may be over because uh, right. I, I think <laughs> the fight over Gilbert Burns, highlighted by his statement afterwards, taking what from who, this guy is uh, on the verge of, uh, essentially on the verge of uh, maybe cleaning out this division with how he's looked. That fight itself uh, opened up new eyes to just how good he can be and how good he can be finishing opponents. But Jose, we've been you know looking at welterweights throughout the years that have done some real damage to the record books. He's looked as good as any in the past couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say he's not on... Like all of his talk, like is is he the greatest welterweight ever? No, but he, but he's looked George like he's good. Yeah, he's yeah, looked yeah. like he's getting there. <laughs> he's on his way. The yeah. difference is George had like nine title defenses. I know. And Kamar Usman's had two. Yeah. Uh, and he so yeah, I think and and what I'm glad you brought it up cleaning out the division because if you look at the top five, so the top five would be Usman, Covington, Burns, Edwards, Masvidal. Those are the top five ranked fighters in the UFC heavyweight in the UFC welterweight division, according to the UFC official rankings. Kamaru Usman's beaten all of them. You have to go down to six. He hasn't beaten Wonderboy yet, and then he hasn't fought Michael Chiesa, and then he's also beaten Woodley and Maya. Uh, so yeah, like Kamaru Usman is is pretty much cleaning out the top of the division, and you have to you're going to have to almost go out of the top five, top six to even get him a fresh fight. He wants to fight Masvidal. Fine. I get it. Just mm-hmm. make as much money as possible. I would favor Kamaru in that fight. That's the money yes. fight. Uh, if, especially if Kamaru, because I would favor Colby Covington of, against Hori Masvidal too. I, I think agree. Covington and Usman are the two best welterweights in the world. Even Leon Edwards is a tough fight for Masvidal. And I think Usman knows that. And Masvidal's basically his value is never going to be as high as it is the last few years. And if he loses again, he loses that lottery ticket. So if he goes out there and cooks up Masvidal again, goes Owen goes two and zero against like the 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 big money fight at welterweight, the BMF champ, blah 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 blah. <laughs> great for him personally. I want to see Masvidal fight Covington. The beef is there. They haven't fought. Former teammates, former brothers, turn enemies, yada yada yada. But then if Leon Edwards beats Bilal Muhammad in a couple weeks, that's like eight nine wins in a row. And the only pe- person he's lost to in the UFC is Kamaru Usman. It was like his first or second fight in the UFC. And Kamaru Usman understands that. He was in the same position Leon Edwards is, was in a couple years ago when no one wanted to fight Kamaru Usman. So he's like, F it. I'll fight any of you. He would go out of the top 10 to get fights. And he kept winning. And then they gave him a title shot. So he understands Leon Edwards' plight. I want to see the Stephen Thompson fight. Stephen Thompson is getting real close to 40. I don't want to see him past his prime, uh, still fighting these young cats. He's already fought like, uh, he's already beaten Luke Gay, and He's already beaten Jeff Neal. The, like these were two the, the two of the up and coming welterweights in that division. He doesn't need to do that anymore. No. He hasn't fought Usman. He's sitting at five. Usman's beat everyone, or he's sitting at six. Usman's beating beating everyone two through four. Give Stephen Thompson the title shot. I don't like just because it's it's the right thing to do, uh, and it's a fun fight. It's a fresh fight. But Masu, if I'm <laughs> Usman, I really want to fight Jorge Masvidal again. You're right. You're dead on about him being a businessman at this point. And he's yeah. showing his chops here because, yeah, that lottery ticket is going to dwindle with one more loss. And personally, I'm with you. The Covington-Masvidal story writes itself and could be and would be essentially an eliminator to get the next title shot. Um, Colby gave him the best fight out of all of them. So I do think that's the only Covington, matchup that... Yeah. Covington is 
That was a great fight, and and the scoring was questionable going into the last round, but it was a close fight going into the last round. I mean, that, well, that was for like, sure. And I think the, see, the problem with that fight is I did, like, like, I don't care who won that fight. I was looking at it objectively, like, Same. say what you want about Covington's gimmick and this and that. Mm -hmm. I don't really care because it's all a gimmick. I knew, I favored Usman in that fight. If Covington had, like, if you look at the rounds, it was 2-2. Two, two. One of the judges had a 2-2. Two, two. One of the judges had a 3-1 Usman. The other judge had it three one Covington, so it was basically at, it was basically dead even. No, it was dead even going into the yeah. fifth round. Usman just put the beat 10 down. Easy. Like, ten eight easy. Ten eight if he survives. On route to be a ten eight. Yeah. If if Colby Covington had survived, so that's what a that's a majority majority decision we were going to look at. Pretty much. If, yeah. Well, I know it would have been a flat out win because he would have won three two on one and three two on the other and then the other one it would have been 29 it would, yeah it would have been majority okay. blah 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 yeah. it was split whatever It'll you want to win call. for sure yeah, it, i'm it, with at, you it was a great day, fight was, and usman was going to win it either way yes so even if if colby Covington had survived two more minutes kamar usman wins handedly and there's no arguing it the fact that he dropped him and covington was like if you for the untrained eye it looked like covington was still in the fight and Mark Goddard may have stopped the fight early, but at the end of the day, the referees aren't there to pull you off a dead body. No, they want to keep <laughs> that from happening. Like they want to stop, they want to stop the fight before you turn into a dead body. Covington's jaw was already shattered, and Mark Goddard stepped in and stopped the fight. I had no problem with the stoppage as soon as it happened. I was like, oh no, like they're gonna run with that and say it was like a it's a controversy and Mark Goddard blew it and this and that which is just not it's, true yeah in any other world though in any other world in any other division where you might have more contenders I don't think it stands out but it, it gives Covington a break yeah. in the sense that he gave him the best fight and everybody else hasn't really been able to hold a candle in the and octagon Covington went out there and just beat Tyron Woodley for every second of the fight and then shattered his ribs and route to like a fifth round TKO like Kobe Covington is could be the best welterweight if he re, if they fight 10 times it could be five and five between Usman and Covington yeah. they're they're phenomenal and Leon Edwards just might be the third best welterweight in the world it's just a it's just such a bummer that it's just such a bummer that and like for everything I said about Usman fighting everyone in the top five no one else is fighting each other no. Like Burns and Covington have never fought. Edwards and Masvidal. Edwards and Covington. Burns and Edwards. Masvidal Edwards. Masvidal Chiesa. Like no one is yeah, fighting each wow. other. They all just want these money fights, and it's infuriating. <laughs> yeah, my favorite division to watch, but not good for uh, <laughs> for the pecking order and whatnot. Uh, Jose, I, I want your thoughts quickly on the lightweight division too before I forget to uh, go over this with you because we haven't talked since Dustin Poirier put on that. <laughs> unbelievable performance in the second round knocking out finishing conor mcgregor and uh we still don't know what's going to happen with the title at that division at the top of that division so just quick thoughts on that i mean khabib looks like he's going to retire hasn't officially done it what the heck is going on there and then how do we make it yeah so how do we make a title fight then would be the follow-up what's the what's the play here how's this going to shake out Dustin Poirier is already locked in for one of those positions. Uh, it's just it's just a matter of who he's going to dance with in there. He's already knocked out Gaethje, but Gaethje's the next one in the ranking order. So if they want to do Poirier Gaethje two for the vacant title, that's fine. The problem is Gaethje's coming off a loss, like and he got submitted. Like it wasn't close. He got dominated by Habib. So Oliveira wouldn't hate it. Wouldn't hate it at all. But if Poirier wants to hang out and and get that trilogy fight with Connor. I do not blame him either. Again, okay, I, I just, this is where I'm going to just throw the challenge flag. Sure. Poirier absolutely deserves to have the title fight, regardless of what's, you know, of how this shakes out. 
But if, if it, McGregor Poirier three is the next fight and that's for a belt, then my question no, to you would no. be, okay. It's not going to be for a belt. Okay. I think that if I'm the UFC and, and Poirier wants the trilogy fight, Connor wants the trilogy fight, it's big money. So everyone in that scenario makes money, which is what every what which is what fans should want at the end of the day because they're prize fighters. Yeah. Like again, I want a so champion though too. You know. Hundred percent. If I'm Poirier, I fight I fight Connor for the third time because he is clear cut the next in line. If there's a if there's either a title fight or a vacant title fight, it's Dustin Poirier versus fill in the blank. Whether it's the rematch with Habib, which definitely won't happen, or a number one contender, it's Poirier's part of it. It's just a matter of who's standing opposite of him. I fight if I'm him, I fight Connor and then let the number one contender sort itself out. Whether it's Gaethje versus Oliveira, Gaethje versus Chandler, Chandler versus Oliveira, Chandler versus Ferguson, I don't care. And then I beat if I'm Poirier, I'm confident I beat Connor, and I'm also confident Poirier beats Connor. And then Gage, say Gagey and, Ch- and Oliveira fight, and then Oliveira some beats J- Justin Gagey. There you go. Poirier mm-hmm. wins the trilogy fight against Connor, number one contender. Wow. Charles Oliveira beats Justin Gagey, who people say is the most violent man in the lightweight division, number one contender. Justin Gagey or Justin Gagey snaps Charles Oliveira's win streak, number one contender. Michael Chandler goes in there and beats Gagey or Oliveira, number one contender. Mm. So there is a little bit of a mini tournament here, but the tournament I think is who's gonna fight Poirier next. So it's not a 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 championship tournament. It's a Poirier tournament pretty much, which uh, at at the end will end up being a championship tournament. But uh, nah, Habib's gone. It's just Poirier versus whoever okay. you want. And I get the money side of it. Obviously, we've we're no, yeah, yeah. you know, we're not new to this. But uh, I would like to see Poirier fight for the belt next. I think that Connor fight can be there, and you'd think that Connor would, uh, you know, be willing to fight somebody else as well. But we'll see. I mean, look, there any one of those options is great. Poirier Gaethje, how much they've grown since the last fight. Oliveira is the most slept on guy in this division, and Chandler, who arguably one of the best debuts in UFC I've ever seen what you know what fight two has and if he's ready to go right to the top of the list as well it should be fun uh, yeah you know this this division too it's like welterweight lightweight a lot of great fighters and there's a lot of great combinations you can make I just want to see something new I guess yeah 100 percent. I just I selfishly I I even like Connor's a great fighter like I want oh, yeah. to see point on her fight again because Connor knocked him dead in the first round in the first fight and then Poirier knocked him dead in the second fight. Like, I also want to see Conor versus Nate three. <laughs> so, that's, see, that's really what careful. that's a great that's a great call because I think that's a great if you want to have Poirier fight for the strap next and Conor's like, what well, what do I do next? That that Nate third fight is still there, and that 100%. and that second just, fight I, was woo. <laughs> I think Nate, yeah, the second fight is unbelievable. I don't think it's the greatest fight in the history of the UFC, like the UFC.com said, but it's it's no, phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, the problem is Connor, I think, really wants to fight at 155 right now. Like he wants to do damage at one at lightweight, and I think Nate's days at lightweight are done. He's going to stay at welterweight, and he's calling for all this ridiculousness. Like mm. he wants to fight Charles Oliveira at 170. He wants to fight Poirier at 170. I'm like, Poirier dude, just go fight Connor a third time at mm. 155. Like I don't care. Just go do that yeah. or rematch Masvidal. I don't care either. Just get just take a fight or go fight Leon Edwards. The problem <laughs> is Nate Diaz. Like all the like, Nate Diaz is not a fight night guy. He is a pay per view headliner, yeah. and they need a pay per view for him to headline, and they're pretty booked up right now. Well, I can't wait to see how this shakes out, Jose. Uh, we got a fight night coming up, and then and it's you're on the road again to UFC 259, where uh, we might see Stalvener bring home uh, two belts. So that's 
Hey, 259 is going to be fun too. I know you got some thoughts on that one. And uh, just quickly, are you at all intrigued by the weight that the style vendor is giving up? I know Jan Blyowicz waited a while to uh, win that belt. And now here he is having to fight arguably the, the most perfectly sound fighter in this uh, entire roster. So I'm intrigued to see it. I wonder what your thoughts are going into it. I This is a tough fight, man. Like I think this is one of, if not the best strikers in the UFC right now. Like he's so perfect. That's one of the best uh, ever. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just a matter of like, like it's hard to, cause those early, like the dark ages of the UFC, like freaking semi shill was fighting <laughs> in the UFC. Yeah, so yeah. you got to throw him on like, like Mirko Krokop is on those. So yeah, Izzy's clearly way up there. Uh, technically Goken Saki is still in the UFC too at this point. Uh, yeah. Jan hits. Jan is like Derek Lewis where he looks like a fighter, but his opponents always just, you think he's going to lose every fight. Like, if you look back at his 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 previous few fights, like I used this I used this comparison, like the UFC wanted to use Jan Blahovich as a stepping stone for so many other fighters. Like when Luke Rockhold moved up from middleweight, they gave him Jan, who was coming off a loss. They wanted Luke Rockhold to beat Jan. They thought Luke Rockhold would beat. Oh, Jan. I remember. <laughs> and and Jan broke his jaw, and then yeah. Jacare Souza moves up, and he's like, he's like, oh, I'll, I'll fight. I'll fight Jan. Jan's like, fine, I'll fight you five rounds. Where are we fighting? Oh, in Jan Blahovich's hometown. I mean, in uh, Jacare Sousa's hometown? Sure, F it, I'll do it. He mm. goes out there and wins a split decision, like, and gets a really tough fight. And then Corey Anderson, like, to be fair, Corey Anderson should have fought for the championship at that point. Like, he was the number one contender, but the UFC just hates Corey Anderson. That's why he's not in the Yeah, UFC. there was a lot of politics involved in that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Like, Corey Anderson had, by, had easily done enough. To get the next shot, like not they fed John, like Johnny, they were going to feed him to Johnny Walker in Madison Square Garden because they wanted Johnny Walker to beat him, and Corey Anderson just destroyed. Well, yeah, that that was yeah. There, there's a lot <laughs> the talk yeah. about the hype not matching up. That's what happened there. But then the yeah. Reyes fight was the one where I'm like, well, like I know it was for the title and he won the belt. You got, but you get the Corey Anderson Yan fight because yeah. Corey Anderson fought Yan, and if Corey Anderson had won. He would have fought John Jones, and even John Jones was there. That was all he was staying for in that fight. division. Would have been for that fight, and uh, it didn't yeah. get to happen. So and yeah, Jan crushed him. Mm -hmm. He just destroyed him in like three minutes, and then he's like, "So Jan basically beat everyone the UFC, like all of the UFC guys that the like Jan they, the UFC basically thought Jan was going to lose four fights in a row, and he won by knockout in three of them. And then Reyes, I think Dom, Dominic Reyes beat John Jones at UFC two. Debate. It could. It was a coin flip for sure. I don't even think it was a coin flip. Oh, I think okay. John, I think Donald Gray has won three rounds to two easily. Okay. Like anyone that says otherwise is like I'm fine. But mm -hmm. I just like there. You, I think that was a robbery. I think Dominic Gray was robbed of the UFC light heavyweight championship of the world. And if I'm Dominic Gray, my I'm so mad. But my what is my what do you what do you call it? What's the word like? I am on such a cloud nine that I think I am untouchable. And then he goes in there, and Jan touches him once. Right. He, he was face. a little, he, I don't want to say arrogant, but he definitely was feeling himself a little bit because he oh, went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the man, lightweight goat. Fight, and uh, fight, so he didn't want to talk to anybody. He's like, whatever, I'm the champion, this and that. I'm like, dude, you're about to, like, Jan Blahovic, it's really hard, my guy. Like, probably take him seriously. And I'm not saying he didn't take him seriously. I just think he underestimated it. Was, yeah, and it wasn't just one punch. I mean, we watched that fight. It was a, a flurry of just violent, oh, yeah. violent strikes. Izzy is so fast. And I think I think Izzy Jan, I mean, 
Dominic Reyes versus Izzy would be super interesting because Dominic Reyes is so fast and so athletic. Same as uh, like Luke Rockold, Izzy would have been fun too because they're so fast and athletic. Jan is not fast. He's not a fast fighter. He just is so precise, and he's like Tim Duncan. He's just fundamentally it. sound and hits so hard, and he's such a nice guy, and he has a whole country behind him. So it's 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 like this is like when it like LeBron versus Tim Duncan, like the fundamentally sound guy that is like he doesn't look like he's gonna be great, and all of a sudden he has a triple dumb triple double on you. And then LeBron James out here, like, windmilling on you. And he, can he beat Tim Duncan? Like, eventually he did, but he couldn't for a bit. So, And Izzy's not bulking up. He's coming in, like, small. Like, he's, mm-hmm. like, speed kills. I'm like, you're right, but so does power. And if he touches you on the chin, it might be a bad night for you. So uh, it's also in, like, let's not forget, it's in Las Vegas. And Las Vegas uses the small octagon. That is not, like... I don't know if Izzy's fought in a small octagon before or whatever, but that's not like he needs room to work, room to move around. So if he doesn't have as much room as before, because it's 10, it's basically 10 feet smaller. Uh, It's like the 15 foot rather than like the 25 foot or whatever it is. So if he has less room to work, might be a rough night. I can't wait for it. It should be a fun one. Uh, will there be another champ champ or will Jan Blajowicz just keep beating people he's not supposed to beat? I think that, that, that storyline is uh, writing itself, so uh, I can't wait. Jose Young's, this was great. Make sure you catch all of his stuff on MMAfighting.com. And, uh, oh, I, I quick thoughts on uh, wrestling. We haven't talked in a while since <laughs> WWE's on the road to WrestleMania, and uh, every other organization, I think, literally in the world is teaming up against them. Pretty much, man. Like It's a fascinating time to be a wrestling fan because... This whole impact. I saw Kenta on AEW, and I was like, what impact. is going on? It's like, yeah, New Japan went over to, to AEW and vice versa. But then, like, let's not forget, the Impact squad is also there. So, like, Impact, for those of you who don't watch wrestling anymore, Impact is just rebranded TNA. But it's a completely new ownership, and they're great. And then also, let's not forget, NWA is also involved in that. So it's basically four of the biggest wrestling promotions in the world, AEW, Impact, New Japan, NWA, and then, like, WWE's over doing their thing over here. Fine. That's great. It's just a super bizarre time, and I love everything about it because I feel like for the first time in a long time, you can't miss a week of wrestling or you'll miss everything else. A, what is it, exploding barbed wire match? Is yeah. this, <laughs> I saw no, that, and I'm like, God, what, these guys just want to hurt each other. Like, USA Network. Yeah, I, man, that is going to open a lot of eyeballs because I can't remember. I don't know if that's happened in North America in the last 30, 40 years. <laughs> man, I don't know, but that's going to be nuts. It. That's going to be nuts. Uh, WWE's road to WrestleMania, exciting in some areas, maybe falling flat in the others. Um, I, I was with you too. I like Edge, but I'm not a fan of him winning the Rumble and getting that title shot. It just seems like it's not really good for any sort of youth movement there, but uh I'm digging the Rome's character, Reigns character, and I'm digging uh, some of the other things they got going That's on. Like Roman Reigns is one of the best characters in wrestling right now because he's with Paul Heyman. I get Edge winning. I get it because mm-hmm. you want to like you want to bring I like with everything your rival your rival promotions are doing. You don't you want you don't you don't you can't build for the future. You got to hit now. Yeah, I get. It. I don't personally care for it. I think da- it should have been Daniel Bryan or Cesaro. One hundred percent agree. Red hot. Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns, like, come on. Like, oh. that's that's a WrestleMania headline. Like, Edge, Roman Reigns is awesome, too. I love Edge. But, like, the history between Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns is there. Especially yeah. now that Roman Reigns is a bad guy and Daniel Bryan is a good guy. 
Like, remember, mm. what is it, the 2015 Royal Rumble? Yeah, yeah. I also Ryan just think Edge is, be- Edge is better as a bad guy personally, too. And I, uh, he's kind of getting into that he's bigger than the title stage because he's a legend yeah. and already a Hall of Famer. Uh, but I agree. And one, I think yeah. what, they, what they want to do is not this year. So next, so this year it's in Tampa. WrestleMania's in Tampa again. Next year's yeah. in Dallas. I think they should, pro- if they're going to do it, like, just have Roman be dominant, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> if, he wants, if they want Roman to hold it until next year, I'm fine with it. And they do Daniel Bryan Roman next year. And then the next year after Dallas is Hollywood. It's in Los Angeles in that big new arena, that new stadium. If they want to do Roman Reigns versus his cousin, The Rock. He'll be over 50. <laughs> oh, I don't do that. I, I know. I don't care. Maybe. Like, yeah. Sign me up. Inject that into my body. Because Roman Reigns is so hot right now. And his character is so. Like, I want him to keep the title. Yeah. I don't want him to lose. But if he beats Edge, keeps it next year, Daniel Bryan, blah, whatever. If he wants to take a break, lose it in there. Like if he wants to feud with Bobby Lashley or Brock Lesnar, fine. Brock. Yeah. But The Rock versus Roman Reigns, where The Rock can finally pass the torch to cousin and finally just retire. Mm-hmm. I'm about it. Yeah, the the last thing I wanted to just bring up, the very last thing, was Reigns turning heel. Everybody talked about that and how everyone was kind of begging for it. The fans were booing him. It was stale. It finally happens, and it's like the coolest character, the the best thing going in WWE right now. I kind of think that it might be Vince McMahon and company that you know didn't want to do it with Cena in the PG era just because of how he resonated with kids. I think it's a little different now. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's this is what we're witnessing is what The Rock went through. Like the rock yeah. was the baby face that everyone hated and they were screaming, die Rocky die. Yeah. And then he joined the nation of domination, became the badass dude wearing the cool shirts and started to talk to himself. And cause he was rocking my via. And then he started calling himself the rock and started talking in the third person and people ate it up. That's mm-hmm. exactly what's happening with Roman Reigns right now. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait to see how that develops and shakes out, but, uh, some good, it's a good time to be a lot of fans of different things, but wrestling is right at the top of the list. Uh, Jose Young's from MMA Fighting. Thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back soon. Let's get it, man. Let's talk right before WrestleMania and after WrestleMania. We can give our predictions. Can't wait. Thanks again, Jose. All right, huge thanks again to Jose Young's for coming on the show. And remember, you can catch all of his work at MMAfighting.com. He does great stuff for them. Uh, another big fight announced today as well. Uh, June 12th is when the flyweight rematch between Figueroa and Marino is going to come. That that was a draw. That was the end of 2020 and probably the best fight of the year. So uh, another good one on deck. So thanks again to Jose. Now it's time to talk to Ian Dunn, the panda. I had to give him a call and let him gloat for five to ten minutes on the Bucks winning the Super Bowl. So. We, we let him, we let him uh, you know, gloat. He's earned it. Uh, we, we talk about tennis as well. Djokovic and Osaka taking home the crowns in Australia. We also talk about the Tiger Woods unfortunate car accident where it does look like he's going to be okay, but we break down that. Uh, it's a variety of topics with Ian Dunn, the panda now, and the Money Mitch effect. Here it is. All right, we had to get him on here to wrap up this week's show. Ian Dunn calling in um, has been, I think, bathing in avocado sauce for well over two weeks now. But he took a break. He's here. And Ian, uh, congrats on your Super Bowl. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, hey, Money. Thanks for having me again, my man. I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't say Tom Brady's the GOAT. 
Oh, think that's, that's, that's a hot uh, take. <laughs> way, way to go out on a limb yeah. there. <laughs> Stop the presses. Brady's the GOAT. So, Man, what a, yeah. what a year, dude. It was incredible, uh, his seventh title, which we've kind of rehashed, but the Bucks winning their second Super Bowl. Both have come in your lifetime, once as a, as a little boy who somehow thought he was related to Warwick Dunn, now a grown man getting to see the second one. So I got to think that just from an appreciation standpoint, this one might have meant a little more because you can really experience it as an adult, or do I have that backwards? Well, I'll say this. I remember the the Raiders-Bucks Super Bowl thirty seven. I remember watching that in my living room and, you know, I was just, I was probably 10, 11 years old. I didn't really understand how hard it was to win a Super Bowl. Like once, once that season ended, the Bucks, you know, had 18 years of just horrible, horrible, horrible football. And to sort of see the progression of having to, to apologize for Jameis for five years and be a, a Jameis, a, you know, apologist, to then move on and see what a real quarterback can do. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah. I think it's just been – I definitely think this one means a lot more. I think the only change is, you know, in a normal year with no COVID and all that, you know, you'd be out at a bar, you'd be with friends and stuff. Yeah. This one I just kind of watched at my house, which is nice because sometimes you, you kind of want to not talk to anybody during huge games like that because you get too nervous. But this one just it means so much just coming from how bad the Bucks have been for the last eighteen years. And you got the I, mean, I, I yeah, you, didn't think it was gonna happen. You got to enjoy it too, because they were in control. I mean there was no like freak out moments in the second half. It was about as as enjoyable as a championship game can be for someone. That that first quarter was super tight and I was so stressed. I was whew, the heart was pumping and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened and it was just I couldn't believe what I was watching. It almost didn't seem real. It was crazy. I mean, that game was good, but the biggest game for me in the postseason was the Saints game. Beating yeah. the Saints after they crushed us twice in the regular season was – I thought they were going to lose that game by 30, and I think a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. And that just gave them the confidence to go into Lambeau and, and take down Rodgers. <laughs> and, and, man, I, to win those three games is just – unbelievable that, that that happened. I mean, it's I never thought I'd see... Because the Bucks were definitely not, you know, the best team going into the playoffs. They, I don't think they had won a game against a team with a winning record. So, for them to pull that off, man. Wow! Woo. Yeah, it, it's... Look, they earned it, man. You know, they got hot at the right time, and they beat three of the best teams, some, some legendary quarterbacks in there. So, happy for you. And it wasn't just Brady, you know? The, no. the defense showed up. Todd Bowles... I That's mean, that the guy thing. can really – Temple made, baby. <laughs> Temple, Temple's been on a little hot streak, right? Just just, oh, just yeah. flaring out. You got Arians, Bowles, the guy that commented on uh, Mason Rudolph's Instagram page. Uh, just <laughs> been a great run. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're crushing it, man. <laughs> No, but seriously though, that that that's cool. Um, I don't know, you know, longevity wise for this team. Obviously, Brady, you know, if we keep pushing the clock back for how long he wants to play, but it is encouraging that the defense, who was a main factor, arguably just as important to winning this Super Bowl as Brady was, um, you know, that the young pieces are there and that you guys are building, you know, from the back with you. Defense I mean, wins championships. 
Yeah, seriously, White was a beast. We know about you know Shaq Barrett being amazing, and uh, Little Winfield there, and Winfield Jr. is uh, is a heck of a player as well. So, you know, whenever that day comes where Brady is no longer there, it looks like a foundation is in place. So, yeah, no, definitely uh, happy you guys got one. I'm just a little upset we didn't get a better game, obviously. Yeah, I think that was the, the biggest issue with everybody is that it wasn't one of those all-time classics. But then again, neither was the other Bucks Super Bowl. They were no. both kind of blowouts like that. No, and I mean that's pretty impressive from a team that's only played had only played one Super Bowl prior and a bunch of players that had never played before. But I think the interesting stat for me in the Super Bowl was that all of the people that scored for the Bucks were not on the team the year before. Wow, wow! Including the kicker, you know, AB got one. Gronk, Gronk had a couple. Yeah, wow. So I think it was it was. I mean, the nucleus was there for the Bucks. The, the defense was largely intact from the year before. But the offensive weapons, I mean, you didn't have to rely on Mike Evans and Chris Godwin the whole time. You know, you had guys like Gronk and A.B. and Tyler Johnson and all these other dudes that kind of came in. And they just gelled in a year where there was no preseason camp. There was no getting to know your people. All The defense stayed away from the offense for COVID precautions. And I think it was just a crazy, just a crazy year that kind of finished the way it should have finished. Just a ridiculous champion. Like Tom Brady in his first year in a new team in 20 years, it was just—it doesn't feel real, Mitch. Like I feel like I'm going to wake up and you know the Bucks are going to be one in 15 again. Well, that could happen, you know, given uh, <laughs> <laughs> given your experiences. But I'll end it with this. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, what I've learned about you and your your sports fandom and who you root for is it kind of evens out. So, you know, I'd be bracing for some bad times coming up for some of your other teams. That'd be my prediction. Well, this, I mean, this is the thing, Mitch. This could be a big year for me. The, the Braves are poised. Here we go. You know, they've got, yeah, the, they're they've poised. got the team. I know, I've, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yeah, never... Falling into the Oh, they got the team. They finally got the pitchers. Oh, the bullpen's good. Oh, this is the year. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the Dodgers can sweep you in the playoffs. Like, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad all non-LA like natives, like you know, the transplants like ourselves, I'm glad we can all just hate the Dodgers openly now, that they've basically oh, become man. the Yankees. Oh, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, before I moved to L.A., I didn't hate the Dodgers. But, boy, they're my number one most hated team right now. Easily. Easily. Wow. We're talking all sports now? I'd say all sports, top top three or four. Mm-hmm. Dodgers, for sure. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, – I mean, I, I have my issues with baseball, and a lot of it is, uh, you know, the salary structure. Um and, and what service time all that stuff, yeah. yeah service time was a hot button issue this week among other things i don't know if you heard about that um yeah but the no Mariners, i agree uh, ceo <laughs> yeah former ceo well i thought that it was you know the first time i ever really understood what that was all about you remember ian was uh chris bryant how the cubs just absolutely yeah, screwed yeah, him i mean right. what was he hitting like four to five hundred in my in spring training just mashing homers clearly ready and they're like no yeah. wait three months we can save money yeah, he needs a couple more, a couple more at bats in, in AAA. He's hitting 500 against major league starters. Insane spring um, training. But you know, on that same note, as we move along here on the money, Mitch effect, Ian Dunn. Uh, I, I think that part of me thinking that you know it might not be, you know, as glorious for some of your other sports teams is, and sports, you know, idols, is that we've moved in the tennis world towards I think another ultimate step in that direction of Djokovic having the most slams. Because I don't know about you, Ian, but I yeah. don't know how you're going to stop this guy. I thought, you know, I, I was like a lot of people. I talked myself into it. Medvedev will give him a match and blah, blah, blah. And, 
you know, no, it didn't happen. It's straight sets, and it's his ninth Aussie Open title and slam number 18. So I know you were there Give working the bat. final I, and just, yeah, it was uh, yeah, an utter I mean, domination. I went into that final thinking Medvedev and four. I honestly, I was like, this is it. He's zoning. He, he's got everybody's number. He's not afraid. But then, you know, Joker had the, the stomach injury, the abs. Okay. That, that, yeah. But boy, but yeah. boy, Djokovic, man, when I, I think he felt like he needed to make a, like, put a message out there, like, I'm still here, man. Like, I'm still Novak Djokovic. I'm still in my prime. Mm-hmm. And that was impressive to see him dismantle Medvedev. You know, a guy who had pushed Nadal to five in a slam final a couple of years ago. I think Joker... Joker's definitely going to end up with more mm-hmm. than Fed and Nadal. I think that's what we can look at. I mean, who knows? Who knows what happens? There could be an injury. You know, he could keep hitting lines people with balls and get defaulted. But <laughs> he could keep having I mean, super spreader events. <laughs> that's it. The only pe- the only one that could beat him is a lines person getting hit in the throat. Well, yeah. Yeah, I just I want to add a couple of things because I do agree with you. It's trending that way. Just thinking about availability, right, as, as impressive as Roger and Rafa have been. I know Rafa's, you know, younger as well, but I, I, they're not going to be at that sustained dominant level, you would think. Obviously, we don't know everything with Djokovic's health, yeah. his, his, you know, commitment to just getting ready and just how he's been playing and how he's been ramping up recently. Um, I think he's going to have the most availability to win the most majors. Uh, that match specifically, Medvedev came in, you said zoning. I mean, zoning is putting it mildly. He had, you know, that 20-match win streak or so where it was like 14 wins in the top 10 against top 10 players, yeah. including Djokovic. Uh, but it is a different beast to beat these guys in a slam in best of five. I actually didn't even think it was the best of five. It was just the stakes and the moment and the fact that Djokovic was – ready for that like like no other man can be and I know he was injured and I know that there was a serious injury early in the tournament but I will say too he is a bit dramatic like I'm not doubting the injury oh, yeah. but there was a kind of a bit of a drama show going in and going around and uh you know maybe it is maybe it is the fact that I think I heard Paul Anacone say that you know Roger and Rafa don't really you know want to tip their hand too much with Joker you know everything and maybe you know a little too much of what what he's thinking and what he's feeling yeah, I think the big issue with Joker is that he feels like he's being slighted when anybody's clapping for another player. Right. But you don't see Nadal and Federer get upset when, you know, they're up two sets of love and the fans start rooting for the well, other yeah, player to come yeah, back. Yeah, let's let's just talk about that for a second because why do why do fans root for the underdog normally? It's cuz they want to see more tennis and they want to just see a very competitive match. In the case of a guy like Djokovic or even like you said Rafa or Roger, it's you know the paying customer. They don't want to see straight sets an hour and a half and jokers in the cold oh. tub, you know. No, they don't want a fifty-nine minute three set match. You know, they they want to see tennis. They paid money to see tennis. That's what they want to see. And I mean, Joker seems to take that personally. Like it's like people. Uh, I always hate when uh, like he'll hit a double fault and fans will clap on a big point and he'll like mock clap at them. It's like, dude, what are you doing? You're Djokovic. Yeah. You're you're the number one dude. You're like one of the greatest ever. But it Why brings do you care the, what these people are doing? But it brings the best out of him, though. I mean, it, it does. Yeah, when, it does. When he has those right. moments, when he has those moments where he's mad, whether it's at the fans or a lot of times at his box, Goran Ivanisevic has been you know the target recently. Yeah. He snaps out of it. I don't think many players in that sport, and maybe sports in general, can play their best and, and, and step their level up when they're agitated, but he's one of the few. 
And uh, I think we saw yeah, it in that I mean, match. And he got better. I mean, look, the road, obviously, Karatsev wasn't a great, you know, was more on the easier side of a draw. Great story. But for a semifinal, you know, Djokovic would have taken that easily when he saw the draw come out. But he did have to go through Fritz with an injury. Milos, who he's beaten every time, but is, you know, a, not an easy matchup. And Zverev, who had him in a lot of those sets, had him six all in the fourth set tiebreaker. So Djokovic just raised his level, got better every step of the way, and then, like you said, dismantled Medvedev. Totally. I think it's it kind of goes back to the the John McEnroe style. Like he kind of sometimes Joker gets bored out there because he's so good that he needs something to fire himself up. And like you said, once that happens, he turns into like Gumby Djokovic. He can't get a ball past him. <laughs> no. I mean, he's far and away the best returner. Djokovic will get everything back deep, right at your feet, right on the line. It's unbelievable to see what he can do against the best servers in the world. I mean, dudes are hitting 141 mile an hour serves, and he's hitting like winners down the line on returns. It's he's he's getting stunning. Depth. It's crazy. Uh, and the difference you mentioned, you know, Djokovic turning into Gumby Joker when he's slighted. The opposite of that would probably be what Kyrgios, who just when he gets slighted and looks for something, he just starts going sideways fast. Yeah, I think that that's a big thing in tennis. You know, you're sort of out there on your own, and if you get in the mumble tank a little bit and you sort of get fired up, a lot of players lose focus. And I think yeah. with the elite players, like even when Fed gets upset, which is very rare, or yeah. Rafa gets upset, you can see when it's a big moment, they're in that point. They're thinking yeah. specifically about this point, not the overall. They're not thinking about – they're not worrying three, three rounds down the line. Like they're, That's the key is being focused on this point right here, the present. And I think that helps Djokovic. I think he needs that. And boy, does it work for him. It does. I I saw him at, I think it was a semifinal match. The other thing that's very frustrating if you're playing Djokovic or just watching him is he'll do these insane stretches in between, you know, moments where he had his, like, foot on top of the freaking cold, like, cooler, basically. And was just getting a light little stretch in foot to his face, so. Yeah, it, it does he does this one stretch where his shoulder blades touch each other. I'm like I can't even put my I, arms over Was that with the stick? Head. Was that with the stick? I saw that one in the in the locker yeah. room. That's <laughs> like what yeah, is this guy? It's unbelievable. I thought like, he was the winter soldier. He's quadruple jointed or something, man. It's crazy. What do you think about the? Uh, I just want to mention this quickly. The uh, the interesting beef going on with him and Kyrios. Well, I, I don't want to even call it a beef because one guy has eighteen grand slams and one guy hasn't even made a semifinal. So. Uh, yeah, but the disdain exactly. for each other, let's call it that. Yeah, I think part of that is is Djokovic realizing that Kyrgios has a lot of talent and also realizing that Kyrgios probably isn't going to go in and mine all of that talent out of his body. Mm-hmm. And I think he also doesn't like that Kyrgios says whatever he wants to say. Yeah. And, and full disclosure, I'm a big Kyrgios fan, and he makes it really hard to be a fan of him. But I really like his. I mean, the guys. His game's awesome. Gifted. Like it's really yeah, good. Obviously, obviously gifted, but it's just it's mental with him, and I think he realizes that. Like Kyrgios realizes he's he's not going to win twenty majors. You know, he'll, yeah. he'll be lucky to make a slam final. So for him, he kind of he's he's one of the generation where he kind of needs to be in the spotlight all the time, and that's not really the the Joker Nadal Rafa area. Mm-hmm. And you, we know that Nadal and Kyrgios have history. Joker and Kyrgios have history. I don't know if Fed and, and Kyrgios do. No, but. Kyrgios likes Fed. Uh, you know, he never really got into it with him. They've had some competitive matchups, but not at that point. Yeah, level. and I think Kyrgios is 
kind of buys into that that Djokovic when when Joker gets mad at other people not rooting for him. I think Kyrgios loves that because he's like, dude, you're Djokovic. You shouldn't care what these people think, but you do. So I'm going to try to exploit that because the next time we play, I might have a you know a mental advantage on you the yeah. slightest. The thing is, Kyrgios on his best day could beat any player in the world. Right. Djokovic on his worst day does beat every player in the world. <laughs> that's that's so true. Uh, we've mentioned the the take on Kyrgios and the Grand Slam, why I don't see it happening. It's just going through seven matches. I just don't think the focus would be there. He'll beat you know, a and top player. And that's why player. you see all these dudes, all these young guys, it's so hard to win one because there's only four tournaments a year where you have to win seven matches of five-set tennis in a row. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting a lot of practice playing these long yeah, you, matches. You don't, get a, you don't get any benefit for beating Nadal the day before. That doesn't, you know, you start from scratch the next yep. round. I mean, that's that's yep. the thing. I think the beef also kind of starts from the fact that Djokovic, I, I would say this, Kyrgios, I like him. I, the tanking is the one part that I can't defend. Like, you got to give your effort yeah. when you're out there. Um, but he do, he's not going to listen. You know, he's not going to take any, and that's his his deal. He doesn't have to listen to everyone else. So I think it does kind of irk Djokovic and maybe Nadal to a lesser extent that this guy is, you know, marches yeah. to the beat of his own drum and and doesn't listen to some advice like they might have too. It's uh, look, I'm glad that that tennis players aren't buddy buddy all all the time. So that's kind of good. We need curios. But yeah, I'll tell but you we, what, Mitch, yeah. when, when people are saying or talking about tennis that don't know tennis, they always bring up curios. Yeah. And what more do you want out of a mm-hmm. tennis player than somebody that brings non-tennis fans into the sport? Yeah, sure. He's gonna he's gonna like hit five serves into the net to lose a match on purpose in in uh, Shanghai against Misha Zverev. Sure, that's gonna happen. Oh, I remember that was. But so in a funny. big match at Wimbledon, he's gonna beat he's gonna beat Nadal. <laughs> he's gonna beat Fed. He's gonna beat Joker. I mean, yeah. that's to me what the sport is all about. We can't all be buddy buddy Federer yeah. Nadal Joker friends all the time. I want to go back to the the McEnroe Borg. I want people like Jimmy Connors. I want these people to be trying to kill each other to win the match. Yeah, you know that's that that is fun to watch to see two people that want it more than anybody else, and that's what you see with with champions. You know, they want it more than anybody else. Yeah, that's their and livelihood. Not want it more than anybody else. He just wants to go out there and have a show. But to me, that's fine. Yeah, I'm when he's that. when he's engaged, it's it's special to see. You just we, we're all selfishly we want to see it more. And if he doesn't want to want to get to that point, that's fine. But then you know he'll he'll have to be at peace with you know not winning the accolades, which maybe he is. Um, Ian, before and, we, and that's what I like yeah. about Curios. He doesn't care. Yeah, he doesn't care what people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, before we go to the women's side, Ian uh, wanted to just talk about the other storylines on the men's side. We mentioned Karatsev coming out of nowhere, maybe a Russian lab. I'm not sure. Making the semis. Uh, the other thing was, you know, an underrated subplot of this. Medvedev beats Sitsipas in the semis. Sitsi beats Nadal, comes back from two down, and uh, just didn't look like he had much left in the tank. I think we can kind of chalk it up to that, as great as Medvedev played. But underrated subplot is that Nadal, just for whatever reason, it just hasn't come together here. It's the only major where he's won one. And, you know, the last couple of years, he made the final two years ago, but it's been some earlier exits, quarterfinal round, not really up to his standard. And, uh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's just for whatever reason not in the cards for him to have success at this tournament anymore. Yeah, well, I think over the past couple of years we've seen the courts in Melbourne speed up. Yeah, and, this know, was the fastest probably. Uh, yeah, this is the fastest I think we've seen in a long time, at least from what I've heard. And Nadal is not a guy that likes playing on fast surfaces. Sure, he's an, he's an aggressive player, but 
he's a guy that likes to set up points and beat you physically, you know, sort of like an Andre Agassi would, or just run you around the court for three hours because he's got the stamina, he can beat you. But in a place where, you know, it's all about your serve plus one, you know, a big forehand off the serve or an easy overhead or whatever it is, that's not really his game. So these other guys like Sitsipas, who has a big serve and a big forehand and a pretty good backhand, he can run around those shots and sort of out-hit Rafa. And look, Rafa played, you know, going into that semi, or going into that quarter, played really well. Yeah, he did. First two sets, he played really well, too. I I think it might also be, and I agree with those points you made, but... Maybe it's just the fact of how he's kind of ramping up his season, you know, and he's won uh, hard-court slams at the U.S. Open the, uh, the last couple of years. He's won a few. I think maybe he's yeah. more of a slow starter. Like, for whatever reason, Djokovic just is in the zone, ready to dominate right from the get-go. Nadal, it kind of starts slower. You know, he hasn't really done as well at the uh, Indian Wells in Miami in recent years, but then clay court season, he's money. He's actually gone pretty deep into Wimbledon, and then when it comes to that summer hard-court season, he, he's rearing a go so maybe it's just like his preparation for the uh, long haul of the tennis season too well he he knows where his bread is buttered he he knows that you know the french open is his place that's where he has to win every year Mm -hmm. because that's his best chance to win a major every year so i think beginning of the year and and he's a guy that didn't play that much in 2020 yeah um coming into this year i think he's just looking to get matches He, he he may have had a back injury at atp cup there's sort of some some differing opinions on if that was real or if he was just trying to get more rest or whatever it was. But I think the Australian Open is just not a priority for him, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, well, I, I think he feels yeah. like he's got a much better chance to win the U.S. and to win RG. And I don't think he's going to get another Wimbledon because, you know, that goes back to the speed of the courts and his game's not really suited for grass at this point in his career, I don't think. Yeah, but we'll it is see. cool, just, just we'll as an aside, like, that we've had – you know, the big three, Federer's owned Wimbledon, Joker's owned AO, and Rafa's owned RG. I think it's cool that each of them kind of have their own their own surface. Yeah, I'm worried, though, now, that Joker's might be Joker's owning Wimbledon. AOs, <laughs> yeah, you take away Joker's AOs, and you take away Nadal's French Opens, and you take away Fed's Wimbies. Who has the most majors? That's sort of what I look like. Who who's won the most? It's Fed, right? Because Fed won first. eight Wimbledon. Yeah, it's still Fed. Because yeah, yeah, it's still Fed. So I mean, to me, the best player ever is going to be Federer, and obviously I'm biased because I'm a big Fed guy. Yeah, but I mean, Joker. I think Joker's going to end up with the most, but Joker's never going to be regarded as the greatest of all time. You're probably no matter right. no matter what. You're probably right, but the only difference being, and I'm with you on being a big Fed guy, but. Um, the metrics will be in his favor. Like he's got him in weeks at number one. Does he catch him in tournaments? Masters. I don't know. Masters, yeah. The head-to-heads there, um, and then your argument too. If he starts collecting Wimbledon's again, and, and you know, there's still going to be time here to kind of balance the slams out. I just think Nadal never really had that metric argument with Fed, but Djokovic is kind of trending yeah. that way. So, um, but but as you say. Yeah, I think you're right. As you say, Nadal just, you know, he knows where his bread's buttered, want to, wants to win the French, and then, you know, catch some big fish out there on his yacht. Um, Ian oh. Dunn. <laughs> Ian Dunn, Money Mitch Effect. On the women's side, just want to mention one thing and one question for you. We're at the point now where i got to ask it. How many Grand Slams do you think, realistically, Naomi Osaka ends up with? Well, once she won her fourth, and she's 23, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, Right after she won, I, I said out loud in our control room, 
I think she's going to win 15, 15 to 20. Ooh, wow. I um, think, yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, I know she's kind of, uh, she can be a head case, but I really feel like no one else has really stepped up except for her. And when she's playing how she wants to play, nobody can beat her. Nobody can beat her. You're right on that point, uh, 100%. I actually think going back to the U.S. Open, that the, the second one, the one last year, that's that might go down as her most important slam because she fixed what was wrong with her. She balanced you know, the off-court stuff and with the on-court stuff, yeah. and she felt comfortable in her skin way more than the first go-round. I was going to set the over-under at about 10.5. You know, 15 is doable. My thing is we don't really know how tennis players are going to age. Not, not necessarily you know, just women's tennis players, but tennis players in general. I think we've been spoiled by the goats of their generation, Serena and the big three on the men's side, that uh, I don't know if I can forecast right now into her 30s still at the top of her game. But we're talking for the next six years, let's say, through her 20s. She's going to be a factor in every hardcore slam for sure she'll be close to if not the favorite and uh, there's still time to see how she can translate to the other surfaces which may be the bigger thing now if if she wins the french or wimbledon or let's say ian makes a final even then i'm going to probably adjust my uh, my take and say it's going to be more because i think yeah i think 10 and a half is a fair over under i mean that's a lot of majors that's seven more yeah yeah i mean i think i'd take the over on that but i think that's pretty fair because like you said you don't know who, how people are going to age. You don't know what other players are going to come up. You don't know, like maybe Coco Goff becomes better than her. I mean, Coco Goff's 16 and is beating these players. So who knows in three years, maybe Goff is better than Osaka and she sort of eats into the overall for her the same way that Joker and Nadal did because without Joker and Nadal, Fed's got 30 majors easily. If we could just, yeah, for sure. If we could just get Coco Goff a serve, I think, uh, I will be <laughs> a serve and a forehand. That backhand is beautiful. That forehand is an issue. Yeah, and, real, and, real. Issue. And on the flip side, Naomi's serve. I mean, I, I goes back to that comparison where it was like a changing of the guard of the Serena Osaka match. Not really seeing Serena get pushed around the court normally like she has, even though she is getting up there in age. But getting free points off of her serve, a very underrated tactic, a very underrated skill in the women's game. And Naomi's transformed her serve into a lethal into a lethal weapon. I think uh, not. No, no, Mel Gibson or Danny Glover reference. That's just a fact. <laughs> but I, I honestly do think that you know having a good serve like that puts her in the zone. But she, she's, she's got it all. I mean, and she's dominant. She believes she's the best out there. She's comfortable in the big moments, undefeated in those Slam finals, um, and just you know, dare I say, Ian, not mental. I mean, that that's that's the composure factor in sports is very underrated, and we're seeing a player who believe she's going to win knows she can do it and doesn't fold under pressure i would say i would take the over at 10 and a half but that i think would be a fair vegas line but i think she's young enough now that she can really rack them up and i think what we've seen on the wta the last two three years is that we have a lot of a lot of uh winners a lot of slam champions but no real legendary champions and maybe Osaka – I mean, Osaka's the only one that's close. Who knows what Iga Schwantek does? You know, she won the French last year. Ash Barty looks like she forgot how to play tennis. Yeah, that's you know, weird. Serena's not the same Serena she was. That's the thing. You've got a lot of players that can make runs and maybe win, you know, one or two majors. But do you have a lot of people that can win 10? Yeah, I, I don't think so. S- I think Osaka is right now the only one I could see doing it. 
Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Halep with her weeks at number one's at two. If she gets one or two more, not legendary status, but we might view her career a little differently. But you're right. Naomi's the only one outside of, like, the Coco Golf next generation um, that we can, you know, unbiasedly forecast. Uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a reaffirmation that she is uh, clearly the uh, apex, uh, the apex predator of that division, and it's her reign right now. Um, beating Jen Brady in the final, shout out to Jen, you know. Got to got to keep going strong. That was a nice story. Getting to the final, what a run! Yeah, incredible, incredible run. Nope. I mean, uh, anybody to make the final. She, I don't think she played anybody inside the top fifteen until she played Osaka. Yeah, which by the way, Ian, she I uh, well. she did play well. You know, I was thinking about this. I talked to Jen Brady. She goes to the final. I talked to Shane Bieber. He wins the Cy Young. I talked to Ian Dunn. The Bucks win the Super Bowl. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> It's the money, Mitch effect, dude. It's affecting everybody. You know, it is. Um, I do, <laughs> if You're you the get, key, dude. If you get a message, if you get a message on Instagram from Belinda Benchich, I'm going to Vegas tomorrow. <laughs> that's, well, that's, 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 that's still uh, that's still a dream at this point. Yeah, well, I don't you know, know. We think Belinda's going to marry that that physio she's got. Producer so. rising up the I'm ranks. Still holding I don't down know. Yeah, producer rising up the ranks. I don't know. Uh, well, so it, there's a chance. There is definitely a chance. Ian, uh, this was a blast. <laughs> uh, last thing before I let you go. Uh, no, yesterday was a crazy day in the sports world with the Tiger Woods story. Um, I know I kind of caught a lot yeah. of people by surprise, and uh, by all accounts, he's going to you know make a full recovery and everything. But it's kind of scary. We know when these top athletes or anybody gets into a car accident or something outside the sporting world happens, everyone just kind of holds their collective breath. It was a scary couple moments, especially online, the couple hours there. For sure. I think the the one thing that stuck out to me was just how many other athletes Tiger has, you know, touched. Like, mm-hmm. Nadal sent out a tweet. He's like, oh, when I heard about this, I was so nervous. Like, hope you make a full recovery. People from all over the sports world, you know, race car drivers, basketball players, football players, cricket players, tennis players, they all, they all realize that, you know, they're all at the same level of – of athlete, you know, they're, they're professionals. And I think they sort of see themselves in tiger a little bit. And man, that was scary, especially for us, Mitch, because, you know, living in LA, that's sort of pretty close to home. Oh I've, yeah. That and drive we, is we, rough too. That's a steep. Yeah. We area. have a lot of friends that live, that live over there and have driven that road plenty of times. And I mean, it's, it's a pretty steep, dangerous road, but I, I think at this point he should just be happy that he survived that. That looked really bad. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he scary. broke, you know, shattered both of his legs and his ankles were done. They got to put rods in there. and I, I don't know. At this point, you can't think about, you know, is he going to come back and play ten or play play golf and be good and, you know, fight for majors again. But you just hope he can walk again. You know, you hope he, his, he's going to be all right and recover fully. Yeah, I Pretty agree. Insane. It was insane. It was crazy that the day before the wreck, he was golfing with Dwayne Wade. And uh, if I have it correctly, he was on his way to go golf with uh, Drew Brees and Justin Herbert. So um, this is a guy that's a legend in the sports world um, for obvious reasons, one of the best all time among sports. So uh, a lot of people were obviously uh, holding their breath, but good to see he uh, you know, is out of surgery and doing well. But yeah, scary. Scary yeah, stuff, man. Fast recovery. fast recovery, and I mean his 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 young son is uh, is an up and coming golfer too. I think oh, he's yeah. twelve or thirteen years old. So, oh yeah, you know to to still have his dad with him as he sort of progresses, and if he wants to become a pro golfer or anything, who better to learn from than you know Tiger Woods? <laughs> no so one you better. Hope that sticks around. I mean, again, you just hope for health for everybody. You don't ever want to see anybody injured like that. 
Yeah. And, and he's lucky to be alive, really. Certainly is. Uh, Ian Dunn, thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, wish you a lot of success going forward, but not too much. You know, the Bucks won the Super Bowl, so just tone it <laughs> thanks, down. Thanks, Money. Always a pleasure, man. <laughs> That's it for today's Money Mitch Effect episode. Big thanks to Ian Dunn. Thanks to Jose Youngs for coming on. And, uh, yeah, another story that just kind of broke this morning as uh, I'm recording this part of it was Russell Wilson maybe wanting out of Seattle. Maybe. Now, a lot going on there. Not really sure. But uh, another example, maybe the most dramatic example, that the QB carousel is moving and the days of uh, just locking in a quarterback to the same team for uh, their whole career most of it. Might not be the case anymore. It's still going to happen, but you know, maybe not uh, as, uh, as much of a sure thing. That much remains to be seen. Thanks again for everybody out there listening. Uh, you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. It comes right up. Subscribe there. Leave a rating. Leave a review. Tell a friend. And uh, we will continue to do more shows as well. Check out The Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. And follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. We'll be back next week to talk more sports, definitely some hockey next week as well, and see what else the uh, the world of athletics brings us. I'm Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening, and keep enjoying sports. <laughs>